0: wanted to go online real quick. Um, ever since the uh, the protest and the George Floyd incident happened, I haven't uh, haven't gotten on the podcast thing or recording thing in a second, so I just wanted to get on here and do something a little quick to, to keep the movement going. Um, I am not prepared to really say anything directly or... To try to break anything down on the whole George Floyd thing, um, I can, but you know, it wasn't what I was uh, really prepared to do in podcast form. Uh, you probably see me get around to that, or I'll get on Twitter and maybe say something. But what I did want to do was just go over some um, – this is the ADD podcast, by the way, Art, Development, Design. So I kind of wanted to touch on some things in this podcast about how I got down with design. Um, art and development so I had the 10 rap albums that kind of changed my life Uh, not like you know in a groundbreaking kind of these are good albums kind of way but they're rap albums that made proper sense as a well put together construction of work and uh, you know really uh, you'll, you'll see when I get to them they're not a they're not like the best albums of all time or anything like that. I may do one of those later, but not right now. And uh, if you're here, throw in a comment so I know so I know you're here and I know everybody's around. Real quick update: uh, it's hot as hell. Before I get started, the in the middle of all this craziness that's going on—the pandemic, the protest—so uh, much happening. Um, and all of a sudden we get a heat wave, so got to deal with that now, and I wasn't ready for it. Let me get a little mysterious liquid here. Yeah. All right. all right. now I'm ready. Um, and today we have joining us, uh, the Game of Life print that I created last year for the Revenge of the Bit art showcase, um or I kind of changed up my style. That piece was, a it was an abstract. It's obviously based on an explosion. I don't know why I decided to put that up today. Um, it's too hot to be thinking about flames and all that, but that's what it is. So, yeah, the, uh, game of life. Um, real quick, that was all about just sparking an explosion. Uh, things sparking off. The beginning of life is usually a, um, a violent or contentious kind of act so that's where that one came from we uh we put that up at the uh at studio 361 in san pedro and uh i didn't think it would get the reception that it did um you know people liked it but it was one of those that people really didn't want to have on their walls you know an explosion i guess so i personally think it's cool but whatever But yeah, um, so yeah, rap's always been a part of my, um, my thing here. i just going to tell Facebook right quick that I'm going live. Going live on the... See, if I don't tell Facebook, a lot of people just run by, poke their heads in. Not really to say anything. But, you know, if you're live and you're here and you want to stop by and listen to me talk about the 10 albums that changed my life. Gotta let them know. Yeah, basically, um, rap actually played a big part in my life coming up. Um, I my I had five. Uh, I had a lot of different musical influences going on when I was in um, when I was coming up. So my mother was into opera. My father uh, was into blues, uh, bluegrass, uh, a lot of uh, the black country kind of music. My oldest brother was into um like uh, turntableism um like really new york kind of hip hop my uh oldest sister she was kind of into the r and b side of things the um uh, you know mary j blige your uh your debarge um lavert all those guys uh the I- Isley brothers she was into that side of things then my next oldest uh sister was into. Um, you know, a lot of the pop stuff. Cyndi Lauper, uh, Madonna, she was all into that. And my brother right above me was into more of the mainstream rap kind of thing. So he was into pop. um, I don't want to call it even pop rap, but, you know, at the time, um, you know, LL Cool J, uh, uh, the Fat Boys were in there too. Uh, Eric B and Rakim. So that's what he was into. And... So you got all these different musical influences in my family, and I ended up just kind of absorbing a lot of it. But I will say that I really stuck to the the rap thing because that somehow turned this off right quick, so I don't get interrupted. So that um, that that really uh, affected me a lot, just the different styles of music in the area. But um, even before I, you know, had the chance to, um, you know, get taught. Um, lot of uh, what music was about, I kind of gravitated toward rap for some reason. I thought it was very, not easy, but uh, it was accessible and it played a lot with words. And I like to play around a lot with words. So that kind of got to me and just stuck with me quite a bit. So I got um, these 10 different rap albums. Now, when y'all hear these, uh, they're they're mostly hardcore rap. So it's not like I'm just going to pick the classics, or anything, or going to pick the uh, the ten rap albums that you know changed the world the most, or whatever like that. But these are just personal, personal ones. Um, and i actually, got to thinking about this real quick. Uh, I had this zine that I made, "50 um, Raps That Made Me," uh, j- and I was going through a lot of uh, rap songs and just putting their putting them down in terms of verses. And uh, and that really went over well, and I started thinking back to a lot of a lot of cool stuff that happened um, in the in the rap era, and what it really meant to me, and I really understood like how much this stuff affected me. So, what's up, Derek? Got Troy Shram in the place. Go make our motherfucker. So, in no particular, let me just get started. Number one, Ghetto D. d. Uh, Master P. So Master P. came out with this album. Uh, if you don't know who Master P. is, CEO from uh, Down South No Limit Records, he comes out with this. Uh, he comes out with this album, and it was weird to me because first of all, the physical album, the case and everything, came in looking like complete shit. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it had this weird plastic CD case that was orange, and it was just very, it was gaudy as hell. The front image art was bad. The uh, the casing was not your standard casing. It was bad. Um, you know, it was hard to find in the stores. It was some really underground, get it yourself, do it yourself kind of thing. And um, I don't know how it even came across my uh, my path, but it was. I was used to getting music from like Tower Records or uh, you know going by. Um, a bookstore and they have some records in the back or whatever a record store vinyl fever in Tallahassee also but this was underground and what I mean by that is everybody seemed to have it but no record store seemed to be talking about it no um no pop radio stations were playing it or anything like that so Master P came out with this Ghetto Dope album and when I first played and listened to it I I even thought the, the audio quality I thought was like kind of shitty I thought the uh the songs were kind of weird. I just didn't get it, but this was one of the the most groundbreaking albums. I, I once I started understanding it, I had to look into it because so many people were telling me, "Yo, this is hot. This is the shit. This is that." Uh, I know this dude's cousin, and uh, you know, I heard this song over in such and such. This is what they play for this, and you know, it even had the the whole uh, masterpiece. Uh, and and that. That whole thing that he would yell on every album, people weren't really doing it at the time. And the way this was getting around through the underground, um, his first album, Ghetto D, was just – it was just phenomenal how it was getting around. Um, In fact, it had 19 different songs on it, and just about every song had a different set of artists on it. And Master P was the CEO of the company. So it's not like you've got the producer, like a Dr. Dre, doing something. It's not like you've got you know your, mate, your favorite star, or rapper, or singer, or whatever. You've got Master P, the guy who's supposed to be the CEO, running everything. But he decides to come out with this album, brings all these people along, and he really changed things in terms of just how you get music out there. Um, I later found out that the whole you know bad CD cover thing was because he was doing his own distribution and didn't need to go to the, the major jewel case manufacturer. So he ended up finding these guys who did CD cases that were, were, weren't were standard. And he got to deal with them, ended up getting the CDs all over the place. So now when you're going through the racks, you've got every every CD case looking the same. I mean, the physical CD case looking the same with the clear plastic. And all of a sudden, you've got this gaudy, orange, opaque plastic case. So you're naturally going to stop, pick it up, and say, what's this about? And that was it. Um, Masterpiece, Ghetto Dope. Uh, Yeah, like, it introduced a whole bunch of nobodies you've never heard of, but for the people in the South, it was, you know, all of a sudden all these people who were on the underground mixtape circuit are getting their play. Silk the Shockers, E-Murder, Prime Suspects, Mac, Sons of Funk, Big Ed, Mia X, all these people showed up. It was so many people on this one album that... It got me wondering, like, what's what's the story here? Why would you do that? And then you had to think back. He's the CEO, so CEO putting out all this al- this album with all these uh, different characters, um, totally groundbreaking album, changed the industry. All right, that's Ghetto D. And number two, no particular order, um, the Fat Boys. Uh, I kind of liked the Fat Boys when I was uh, when I was young growing up. They were very colorful um, they I mean literally you know you see they they got a lot of color on their album um, they uh, they're just energetic they had obviously had a gimmick going on with um, being three chunky rappers from New york they uh but they were very um they were actually very well put together and you wouldn't think about that from a gimmick kind of group, but they had a lot of Really good lyrics, uh, catchy hooks, uh, well done music uh, production. Um, as I said, they were very visual and picturesque. Aside from them being very fat, being the Fat Boys, you know, once you got past the gimmick, you're like, hey, these guys are actually good. Uh, I don't know if you remember the movie Crush Groove, where they they got into the record uh, the rap competition and lost. Well, that was based on a true story, but in real life, they got into the rap competition with all these quote unquote you know, regular, real rappers, in. and they beat the, beat all the uh, other competitors with their with their fat boy rap. So the actual quality of their rap was actually good at the time, and I realized, I was like, huh, these guys are actually good. And, you know, something you could play around your mom, and she wouldn't get mad at you for, you know, listening to any hardcore rap music or anything like that. Um, and the human beatbox changed, changed the rap game also. He was, um, beatboxing rest in peace and uh is troy still in here troy yeah man uh i'll get around to doing a rock some rock uh, classic rock later uh this just came in on in my mind so i'm going to be doing a whole bunch of these anything that kind of influences me i'll do 10 of them or whatever all right that's the fat boys i'll, I'll make a link to all these later so you can uh, look them up and catch some songs and jumping into the future a little bit I got 50 cent Mr. Fifty. You probably know him now as that petty guy on Instagram, but he made a lot of rap albums and started out with Dr. Dre. Uh, Dr. Dre picked up Eminem. Eminem went and picked up 50 Cent, and they kind of started this whole pyramid scheme of uh, record development and artist development. So anytime 50, 50 Cent gets a little money, a little bit gets kicked up to Eminem, Eminem makes a little money, a little bit of that gets kicked up to Dr. Dre. So, as you'll notice, with a lot of these in the list, by the way, they're not just random albums. They're When I say they changed my life, they changed my perspective on, like, the music business and how things should be done. Um, the 50 Cent's debut album, Get Rich or Die Trying. This is one of the first um, albums that really had a lot of story behind it. And the story that was hitting the streets before the artist. They weren't just like, Hey, look, new artist." They were like, Hey, there's this guy 50. Um, he got shot nine times. He was, uh, beefing, you know, talking, you know, beefing with Jay Z. He's really growing up in the underground scene and everybody wanted to know this guy's story. Um, and you know, when he got put on with, uh, Know Dr. Dre and Eminem. What ended up happening was you had this crazy mix of uh, the Midwest influence with Eminem and the West Coast sounds and beats applied to this New York rapper. So now you have a New York rapper, and the New York sound is very, you know, boom bap. It's just kind of let's keep the beat simple, let's keep the rap straightforward, raw, and real. And 50 Cent came with that, but he also had this melodic side and this kind of Midwestern flavor side that, you know, you have people helping you develop your album. That's what's going to come out. So 50 Cent comes out with this album. And once again, very well put together. Um, and it had a pretty good flow for the time. I, I know I'm talking about albums now, but um, it's hard to express how, how albums were put together. In today's era. I mean, you can't really express that to people because who buys albums and listens to them as albums now? It's not not so much of a thing. But, you know, for 16 or 17 songs, um, 50 Cent just starts in and starts telling this hardcore, gritty New York tale. It's not like a contiguous story, but he weaves in and out of like, hey, I'm talking about this guy. I'm talking about this neighborhood. I'm talking about these people. I'm talking about this experience. Um and you know it got got me thinking just about a lot of different uh different uh ways of like how music's coming out because there was nothing surprising about it. It was just like well done in a different way. Hey, what's up, Steven? Troy. Um of the well these aren't ten, the ten rap albums changed my life, which had the best instrumentals beats, or maybe most memorable, excluding Dre. Mmm. Um, actually, let me go ahead and jump to that one. Um, we're going to exclude Dre from, from this list. So I've already gone through, uh, Ghetto Dope, um, Fat Boy's first album, and Get Rich or Die Trying. Uh, next I'll jump to, uh, most memorable, Chopper City in the Ghetto. Uh, Chopper City in the Ghetto was by BG, Baby Gangster. Um. Cash Money. And if you know Cash Money, you know the early sound of uh, Manny Fresh. DJ Manny Fresh was the sound of Cash Money and what Cash Money was known for before before Drake and Nicki Minaj came along. To say that this guy's sounds like changed the sonic landscape, it's like Timbaland changed the sonic landscape, Manny Fresh did also. And he's pretty much the one-man in-house producer um, doing... Multiple beats a day. Kicking out all kinds of hits. And um, BG may not be well known, but he's got one song in the album that really put the whole thing on the map, which was Bling Bling. So everyone's talking about Bling Bling um, as a term. And it came from this album, Chopper City in the Ghetto. Actually worth checking out, once again, all these albums that I'm listing. If you just check them out from top to bottom. And play it when you're not doing anything else, or when you got time to go through an entire album. Chopper City in the Ghetto, it goes in and out from this, you know, Southern, Southern bounce kind of thing, uh, party vibe, to a, uh, you know, hardcore gangster vibe, to kind of a, uh, you know, um, Southern playalistic kind of vibe. It's, it's very soulful, you know, yet Southern, it's, At the time when it came out, nobody was understanding what that sound was. But Bling Bling, the song you all heard, was actually on this album. And it made, it it blew minds. Uh, There are a couple on on here. In fact, uh, let me see, number two, Trigger Play, Cash Money is an Army, Playing It Raw, Bling Bling, um, Cash Money Roll. You know, I still play Cash Money Roll every once in a while now when I'm just literally rolling down the highway or whatever. Um, and as I said, it's it's definitely a, a specific taste, so you could be playing it, and I, I could very well see people not getting it, but, uh, Choppers in the Ghetto also had a very, uh, interesting play with the different, um, characters of the Hot Boys and Cash Money. So it was, uh, BG, Juvenile, Lil Wayne, and Young Turk, and basically they made up the the Hot Boys, which was the the main rap presence of uh, Cash Money Records, aside from the producer, Manny Fresh and the CEO guy, Baby, you know, Baby Birdman. That was his record label. Uh, so uh, that comes in a uh, little Wayne and Juvenile were on there kind of doing their thing. So a lot of people didn't realize that, you know, back that ass up was. That's the same guy, you know, uh, it's not BG, it's Juvenile, but Back That Ass Up came out, and they thought they were, like, one-hit wonders, and he you got another album, you know, with Bling Bling on it, and then every album just had, like, one super hard hit on it that kind of strung all these albums together, so, so that's how Chopper City in the Ghetto ends up on my list. All right, so that's Ghetto D, Fat Boys, uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, Chopper City in the Ghetto, and the next one we'll jump to is... See, I'll take go back to the past for a second again. Radio but with LL Cool J. Um I feel free to stop and ask questions, you know. I'm just kind of riffing here, going on these. Um So LL Cool J's radio. New York rap was I don't want to say uh calm or you know it wasn't ch- it was just, you know, it had this boom bap and you're kind of like boom Boom, boom, ch- boom, and everybody kind of got into that, yeah, this is New York rap, we're doing it. Um, Def Jam, you know, which was Russell Simmons and uh, Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin came along. And when they started doing their thing, they started really uh, putting together a new era of music. Rick Rubin has a lot of rock uh, influences, and he put that into his music. And you could tell that happened with the production of a lot of the stuff with L.O. Cool J. He had this harder sound. Uh, He was coming at it with a much stronger, uh, even literally, uh, because he was one of the few buff rap artists at the time. I mean, a lot of those New York guys were skinny because they were walking up and down the street so much. But Cool J was actually, you know, kind of ripped. Wait a minute. Uh, Was that radio where you saw the... No, it's one of those albums, but, uh, anyway, radio, this album, he came out hard, changed the New York scene, um, it was the friendliest hardcore rap you could probably play, the most radio friendly, um, without getting people, you know, uh, kind of trying to pull back on it, Rock the Bells, I Need a Beat, um, Dear Yvette, just a very solid album, mostly produced by Rick Rubin, so... That one hits the list. Not too much to say about that. Really solid album. Um, you know, but how did it how did it really uh, land on this top ten list? As I said it was that New York sound that changed, and LL Cool J's style at the time. Wearing the troop, the troop jacket with the cango, uh, nice clean shoes. He had a very distinct look from all the other rappers. A lot of them were kind of, I don't want to say bummy, but you know, uh, they definitely weren't bummy. But they had this. New York rap look, and he had a New York rap look that looked very L.O. Cool J at the time, so uh, L.O. Cool J comes in, and the next one we'll jump to, all right, Cypress Hill, so we've got Ghetto D, Matt the Fat Boys, 50 Cents Get Rich or Die Trying, Chopper City in the Ghetto, L.O. Cool J's Radio, number six, Cypress Hill. When a lot of rap you listen to, and it's like you kind of, you know what to expect. This one kind of came out of nowhere. And I actually got onto it from the Juice soundtrack. Uh, Juice was a movie that had uh, Tupac Shakur and a couple other guys in it. Um, but they had this one scene where uh, they, ha- they were playing the song, How I Could Just Kill a Man. And I was thinking at the time, who has a song called I, How I Could Just Kill a Man? I mean, that like kind of stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, what? And Be Real's voice was just crazy nuts. Um, it, not, nobody had really heard anything like it at the time. It's got that real nasally, you know, sound to it. Um, uh, gosh, I can't even think of any his words. One time tried to come in my home, take my chrome. I said, yo, it's on. You know, that kind of rapping was it was just it was just different at the time and he definitely had a certain kind of cadence where it was like it, it was it was so uniquely his and he did it so often that Cypress Hill just became a thing. And once again it had the strong producer behind it, DJ Muggs, um uh, from the Soul Assassins, uh really changing things up. West Coast Sound, um, had a lot of Latin influences on it when I, so when I, I'm hearing this now and you know, I'm in a, I'm in high school and I'm thinking, yo, Latin dudes rapping. What is What is this about? And, um, there were a couple of that Latin rappers that were around, but they weren't doing it like Cypress Hill was doing it. Um, and you know, when I say they came with stuff that you had heard in the movies, um, I mean, like, l- l- let's listen to the album, the song titles. Uh, for pigs, How I Could Just Kill a Man, Hand on the Pump, Hole in the Head, Ultraviolet Dreams, Light Another One, Real Estate, Stones is the Way of the Walk, Latin Lingo, The Funky Cypress Hill Shit, Tres Equis. I mean, it, this was hardcore rap, and I almost... This was one of those things that flew so far under the radar that if you brought it home, you know, it, it wasn't like on the do not buy list or anything just because a lot of people didn't expect anyone to buy it. It, it just kind of got past a lot of people. So I said I had Cypress Hill. They're like, oh, OK, Cypress Hill. That sounds uh, pleasant, I guess. So whatever. And people wouldn't like trip too much until they until they heard it. In fact, this was the first album that I had ever gotten confiscated for, uh, for playing it. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was comedy. Uh, Cypress Hill. Uh, great crew. Uh, did a lot of different things. And that's that. All right. Where are we at right now? We are about halfway through. Doing good on time. All right, so the next one. Speaking of th- people who change things, uh, another hardcore group, NWA. In case you don't know what that stands for, it is not the Northwestern Wrestling Alliance. Um, it is Niggas with Attitude. And if you haven't seen the movie, um, Straight Out of Confidence, you need to go see that. It will give so much context that I can't really give here. This is uh, the second of the. One, two, three. Second of the three Dr. Dre produced albums I got on here. So, um, yeah, NWA, what they were doing was really expressing that whole Los Angeles, West Coast gangster side of things that it's hard to – like you see some stuff on TV and you can't – at the time we couldn't really believe what we were seeing on TV. You know, um coming out of LA, they just had these fantastic images and we'd see them in, in movies, on the news, in magazines. But it was hard to get a a soundtrack to that, to some of the the serious nature of what was happening in LA and some of the and a lot of the vibe. And people out in the East Coast and the South it's not that they didn't take the West Coast seriously; it's that they really didn't know it. They didn't. They didn't have anything to to kind of give them that bite. N.W.A.'s uh, Niggas for Life" really did that. And once again, just like the 50 Cent album, this is a Dr. Dre produced album. The flow is impeccable, and it is not for the faint of heart. It is powerful, potent. At as I say, if you haven't seen the Straight Outta Compton movie? Maybe you should see that first, then listen to the album. Um, and Maybe stuff will make more sense. I don't know. But I listened to this, and it—no, this is it. This is probably the most raw album, uh, rap album that I had ever heard, and it may still be the most raw. I don't know how many other rap albums. I mean, there's gonna be stuff that's more violent, more uh, explicit, or whatever. Hey, Alicia. But N.W.A. came through with this album and took things to another level, explaining things that people, you know, were too scared to say, were um, were too, uh, you know, they were being pressured by their record label to to not say, and, you know, and a lot of places, frankly, didn't carry it. I remember hearing about it one time, and then I found it in a, a Tower Records, I believe it was. I believe it was a Tower Records. Um, but they had the little listening stations at the time where you'd go into the record store, go to the listening station, and uh, you know they'd have CDs, and you could, you could maybe take a CD up to the front, and they would let you play it. So I got this NWA CD, and what I used to do, I used to just play a bunch of music, and I wouldn't buy. I would just play a bunch, and then I'd leave. You know, maybe get a pack of gum at the front so they wouldn't get mad at me. But this album hit me so hard, with so much force, so much attitude, so much. Just, I, I was just impressed by how forceful they came with a lot of the their content. And as I said, it's not like this. This isn't stuff you're gonna go, you, you want to go play for your kids or anything like that. This is heavy shit. Um, and it actually kind of made me uncomfortable in place. I was like, shit, shit, this is shit, fuck yeah. Um, I mean, they have an interlude here. I mean, I I don't even want to read the album title. You just have to watch the movie, uh, straight out of Compton, then go back and listen to this album from top to bottom. And understand the angst, the pain, the drive, the passion, the forcefulness, the anger that was coming out into this music. And when they say, oh, it's just gangster rap or just glorifying violence, they're really not seeing the, the artistry that is taking all that bad energy and flowing it into um, an art form, in a, into an album. And, you know, change, they changed the world of very... Very easily, very easily with this. I don't know if you remember they, uh, you know, they had the whole thing with the parental advisory and, you know, let's get together and instead of having a book burning, let's have a music burning. N.W.A. and like albums like this were the reason for it. All right, number seven. Let's jump over uh, something a little different. We will jump back to let's go back to New York. I said, we got no particular order here. Ghetto D, The Fat Boys, 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying, Chopper City in the Ghetto, Cypress Hill, Radio, L. Pool J, NWA, Niggas for Life, and number eight, Wu Tang Clan, Into the 36 Chambers. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a whole thing on producers and moguls later, but. Uh, Wu-Tang's The 36 Chambers. I don't even know where to start with this. Like, when I say came out of left field, this album, no one... It's not like it came out and went to the top of the charts and people were just talking about, oh, have you heard of Wu-Tang? No. Wu-Tang Clan came out and people were kind of like... Like, you remember the first time you heard Barack Obama's name? You're like, who? Well, Barack, wait, Baracka, Barack, who? Barack Obama? The guy from Mortal Kombat? Barack? No. Uh, that's how people, when they heard Wu-Tang Clan, that's how they were, they were received. It's like, Wu-Tang, what is this? It's like a a rap group called Wu-Tang Clan? Well, who's in it? There are nine of them? okay. Where they, New York, a New York group called the Wu-Tang Clan. All right, let me hear it. So, the Wu-Tang Clan, this album had nine different artists on different record labels. So, no one label could actually control the Wu-Tang Clan. They decided to basically model their, their albums on this idea of the Wu Tang, which came from uh, old movies that they used to watch, uh, namely from the RZA, um, and with these different, with these all these different artists, uh, they all had their own different little style and flow. But the idea was, we make this one group album, we all feature each other on it, and we have our own separate record labels. So once we start doing solo albums, you know, people will know us from the Wu Tang. Uh, album then they'll know us from Old Dirty Bastards album then they'll know us from Jizz's album. And it's kind of a change up in the formula from the way that Master P did it or uh, Dr. Dre and uh Eazy-E with, did it with NWA. But this was a really groundbreaking step in terms of, you know, getting away from the um, the the shackles of the music industry. So the way the music industry was really going at the time you would have a lot of uh, a lot of control from the labels and the distributors and the Wu-Tang Clan was just doing a different way of you know changing the whole scene and changing the whole environment with everybody being on a different different label so you really couldn't control the Wu-Tang Clan you could try but everyone's on different um everyone's on different labels so RZA set that all up and um he was also the primary beat maker behind the whole thing. He uh he had this style that was so dirty and raw. Like if you think of Timbaland, very, you know, uh Timbaland um what's his name? Um Manny Fresh, I'm sorry. And all the others, they had a very production based style or they had a musical style where you brought in guys with um you know violins, trombones, or whatever, drums, to play the music. RZA was like a mad scientist. RZA had, you know, all the rolling boards, um, the cords, and all these uh, different patch boxes set up to where you're routing the music and rerouting the music through different things. And so you got this dirty, crazy, sampled sound. And it came together in a way that was actually reminiscent of the kung fu movies that you were you watching because around the time you know you'd have the VHS tapes. Everybody would pass around different Kong Crew movies, um, like were they were they uh, Five Deadly Venoms, Master Killer, Kid with the Golden Arms, all these different movies uh, from the Wu Tang series. Uh, shout out to Shaw Brothers. All these different um, albums came out with their different style, um, but but yeah, everybody came back to the Wu Tang clans. Into the 36 Chambers. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of the resurgence of the classic New York feel, but with this crazy gimmick that made sense to nobody on top. Um, if you haven't listened to that album, uh, it's, a good, it's, uh, it's, it's still good. You know, you really get to see what different personalities look like or sound like in, uh, in, in the album space. You know, uh Method Man has his sound, Rizza, Jizza, Older Brass. And as you're listening to it, you start to you start to actually wait for the different actors to come in and say their part and really get into the the moment. Um and actually on this whole list, I don't think any of them can no, this this would be the one. Thirty six chambers as far as like lyrical um Lyrical play in terms of just you're hearing these different characters, the Thirty Six Chambers. Uh, th- that definitely be the one that changed it there for me. Um, so when I started thinking about character development in any sense of the form, uh, I definitely have a lot of thanks to give to Wu Tang Clan's Thirty Six Chambers. All right, so we're getting down to the last two here. Uh, Southern listed Cadillac music going back to the South with Outcast. So. You know, we had we had Southern music here and there come out um, doing Southern things, but no one ever took them seriously as rappers. I mean, you know, I, being from the South, I'm like, all right, you know, Juvenile, Lil Wayne, all those guys, uh, Master P, Mystical, of course. You know, they're doing their thing in the South, but you really couldn't pick them up and take them to New York or L.A. and say, look, these guys know how to rap. They you would just get thrown out the thrown out the um, the store thrown out there thrown into the street, no one cared. Southern playlist Cadillac music, Big Boy, and Andre 3000. If there was ever a yin and yang of musical genius, these are the two um, in rap at least. And they, they took that soulful vibe with that you heard in the other albums, and they really put it together and made something special with their Southern Playlistic Cadillac music, and if you don't know what Cadillac music is, imagine yourself driving down the street, listening to whatever, um, you've got, you're in the South, you've got trees on both sides of you, um, it's kind of hot and humid, windows down, wind is blowing, um, it's too hot in the South and too humid in the South for anybody to get really, you know, rambunctious all the time. So in general, people in the South kind of try to chill out. These two lyricists were bouncing back and forth off of each other in a way that people hadn't hadn't heard before. And a lot of lyricists now still still go back to... Stuff that they heard in Southern Playlist Cadillac Music and Aquimini and I and the other Outkast albums. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of, I don't want to say there wasn't musicality because that's really not what I'm trying to say. Um, but the soulful singing, the soulful vibe of a lot of Southern, Southern music, and I'm talking about like, you know, um, blues, gospel, a lot of that had stayed kind of separate from rap music outcast started really bringing it in and combining mixing and twisting it up folding it on top of each other and if you've seen like any of the outcast videos you'll see they have choir members in the background dancing or whatever and that's what they do they kind of have this vibe where they're pulling from you know all these you know humble uh you know soulful classic vibes of you know lot of black music so it's really interesting to see how they brought that into the rap scene um in fact they have a song here called you know funky ride it's coming from the parliament funk um all those guys all brought together Uh, amazing album um and yeah when andre 3000 said hey the south got something to say they the rap quality here of just lyrical skill, took it to another place. All right. So playlist playlist of Cadillac music. And the last one for this list, um, I might give an article mention too. Last one is the third album from, uh, from Dr. Dre. I may do a whole thing on Dr. Dre. I don't know. People don't understand Dr. Dre. He's never really failed. And that, that's just kind of amazing in, in music and in art. Um, starting from the world-class Wrecking Crew to uh, NWA to, uh, you know, Death Row Records um, to 50 Cent to Eminem to Beats by Dre. You've got to stop and look at that and say, the guy has never really failed. I mean, that's incredible. So when, you know, when you have somebody who kind of knows what they're doing and is a relatively quiet person in the background, just putting things together, making things work. you got to give respect to it. So I may do a whole thing on Dr. Dre. But the album that I'm referring to here is not not the chronic. I have that on another list, actually. Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style. So as you can tell from Eminem and 50 Cent, uh, Dr. Dre was all about characters. He really liked getting these people together who were you know, Snoop, that skinny guy from, you know, that skinny guy from Long Beach who, with the braids and the smoke and the drawl, okay, um, he really found this character and put him out there in such a way that he didn't outshine Dre, but he was definitely out in the front, like, hey, I'm Dr. Dre, I'm not trying to be famous myself, look at this character, and, with this Doggy Style album, he really showed his, his range, um, because similar to Outkast, Southern Playlistic, Cadillac Music, Doggy Style was one of the soulful things, soulful albums, but from the West Coast perspective. So, Gin and Juice, um, you know, Lottie Dottie, Murder Was the Case, uh, Doggy Dog World, these are all classics, and they have a slow, funky vibe that totally fits with the West Coast Long Beach area and I'm trying to think back to any kind of, this was probably one of the first really hardcore I mean to be accepted by hardcore and then also easily crossing over into mainstream when, you know how everybody loves Snoop Dogg now that's always kind of been the case and that was by design Uh, Dr. Dre and Snoop really put something together magical when they made the brand of Snoop Dogg. And in fact the Doggy Style album, if you ever had the old album cover, the whole thing was a comic book. And it was like a really crazy West Coast comic book that one of one of his friends uh did. So it just had this whole different vibe that was like, hey, I'm about to, I'm gonna be real with you, but i'm gonna I'm totally acceptable to your friends your family your aunt's gonna love me uh, your mom's gonna love me your next door neighbor's gonna love me you know I'm sleeping with your girlfriend, but you're still gonna love me anyway. it doesn't matter uh he kind of had this vibe where everybody everybody kind of everybody kind of liked snoop snoop was very likable um and that definitely wasn't always the case with a lot of rap artists so um Put, putting Snoop Dogg, that Doggy Style album, and that one, you know, with a lot of these albums, not just this one, you'll notice that they changed the rap album music landscape in some business technical sense. And, you know, Doggy Style was definitely that crossover one. If there was one to be had. Wu-Tang was more novelty. Um, you know, Outcast was more... Within the rap community for a couple years before, before they changed over, but Doggy Style pretty much started out well respected in the streets and well respected on MTV. Um, for the type of content that was on there is pretty phenomenal actually. And you know what? Um, all right, we got time. We'll make time for one more. And this is the eleventh one. It's really not so much a foundational rap album like the others were. Um, but I'm going to put it here as an honorable mention because I didn't want to put it on this other list that I've got coming up. It is Bone Thugs and Harmonies East 1999. So you guys remember Bone Thugs, you know, and Talk Fast, uh, First of the Month. Um, gosh, I, I'm sitting here looking at these songs and you wouldn't note the crossroads. You wouldn't notice a lot of these titles. They're not like popular radio titles. But right when you hear Bone, you're like, oh yeah, those fast-talking guys. Bone thugs. There have been other fast-talking rappers, fast rappers, that you really couldn't understand before. uh, Twista, Jazzo, a couple others. uh, But it wasn't really that much of a thing. Somehow, Bone came along and took that West Coast musicality, that West Coast uh, I, don't, God, I don't even know what to call it. West Coast Swing? You don't want to call it Swing. Not Swing. Scratch that. The West Coast Funk, the West Coast Five. And they put fast rapping on top of it. What's funny is, they're not even from the West Coast. Uh, they came out of Cleveland. So, Easy e ended up picking them up from Cleveland. Um, brought them out. Uh, they were doing their thing. And while they were doing okay in Cleveland, they really started to pop off when they made their home in LA, and LA embraced them. They represented, they, you know, they were all over the place. But you never really got to know Bone Thugs. It's was kind of funny. Like with all these, a lot of these other groups, you got to know who Dog, uh, the Dog Pound was, Doggy Style. You got to know Dr. Dre, um, but, uh, you know, maybe they're like Cypress Hill, where you just didn't know who they were you kind of had these four guys and you just know them as the fast rapping guys. And you'd think that'd be a one hit wonder, but they had an amazingly long stay and no one ever really took the crown as the fast rapping guys. They, for their entire career, they maintained that, that crown. Nobody else could do it. Um, so that's really not a groundbreaking album. It's kind of more of a, a gimmick that stayed around. Um, But I wanted to put that on as an honorable mention to the list. Bones East 1999. And that does it for this list. Uh, As I said, I totally started thinking about uh, just these rap albums because I was listening to some old music and wanted to put something out there to, uh, you know, just let you know where some of my influences come from. Once again, I'll put all the different albums in the show notes. Let's go through them. Ghetto D by Master P. Fat Boys, self entitled album, Fat Boys. Get Rich or Die Trying by 50 Cent. Chopper City and the Ghetto by BG. Cypress Hill, self titled album, Cypress Hill. Got Confiscated. Stupid teacher. Took my CD. Uh, radio by LL Cool J. NWA's Niggas for Life. Enter the 36 Chambers by the Wu Tang Clan. Southern Playlisted Cadillac Music by Outkast. Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg, and honorable mention, Bone Thugs and Harmonies, East 1999. So yeah, 10 rap albums that changed my life, um, I got all kinds of other music that changed my life, but as I said, I wanted to start with something, and I'd already made this zine a while back, the 50 raps that made me, so I decided to continue on with that, so yeah, um. I'm going to be making some more zines uh, and putting out more stuff, just a little concentrated bits of my thought. Um, You know, I've got characters that I've made, uh, stories that I've written here, and uh, different little things about art. So I'm going to put those all out, and maybe I'll have an accompanying podcast to go along with them. But uh, I've already got a request for a a rock, classic rock. I'll go pull some classic rock out of my out of my head and see what comes up but yeah uh, let me know what you think as always comment below and i will see you Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. You all make everything I do possible, and I really do appreciate it. So even if you've got me on social, please visit mrbenja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.